AM 1600 KIV, ABQ.FM, com. I'm Eddie Aragon, The Rock of Talk with me. Well, we got Jeffrey Candelaria. Straight talk here for us Saturday afternoon. As always, we appreciate him. If you want to go ahead and get in touch with him, he'll tell you how. Jeffrey Candelaria, take it away. Absolutely. Thank you again, Eddie Aragon, for providing this platform uh, to, br- uh, to bring insightful and enlightened uh, guests to our listenership. Don't forget to... Download the Rock of Talk app on your smartphone. We are with you every Saturday from 1 to 2 p.m. on Kiva 1600 AM. And again, I'd like to thank Eddie Aragon for producing the show. He's the person behind the glass. He's the station owner. He provides a great deal of insight and motivation and inspiration to all of the hosts here, including myself, of course. So with me today for the next hour is someone I've known for quite some time. He is the president of the Rio Rancho Chamber, and he is extraordinarily well-versed when it comes to understanding economics, business, really even social trends, not just in the Rio Rancho area, but as a former business person, he has a great deal of experience and, and personal insights into, uh, into what it's like to be an entrepreneur. Welcome to Straight Talk with Jeffrey Candelaria, uh, Jerry Shello. Great to be here. Absolutely. So before we get into all these different uh, topics, we're going to talk about labor, we're going to talk about business, we're going to talk about social trends, we're going to talk about redistricting in New Mexico. Tell us a little bit about your background and what you do at the Rio Rancho Chamber, and why should our listeners, frankly, care about what a Chamber of Commerce does? Well, my background, Jeffrey, is really uh, you know 30 years of uh, financial services, whether it be banking, lending, uh, insurance, but I've owned the businesses, I've worked for the big corporation, I know the difference between the two, and that's what we try to do at the Rio Rancho Regional Chamber of Commerce is really help support businesses no matter where they're at in their, uh, in their expansions, maybe it's a startup, helping them figure out, you have someone that has this great idea, how do they start a business, we help them. We get them the tools necessary. If they want to expand a business and get to the next level, we help them with that as well and give them the tools, give them some resources to make it a little bit easier. Even on the corporate side, how do they engage the community? That is a big challenge for corporations right now. So how do they engage it? That's what we help them out with as well. They have a plan. They might have an idea. But we know the community better than they do when they're coming into town. Jerry Shello, president of the Rio Rancho Chamber. Jeffrey Candelaria, straight talk with Jeffrey Candelaria. And the reason I wanted to have you on the show, not only because of your experience, your insight, your uh, residing as president of a, of a pretty substantially large chamber of commerce in New Mexico, you're someone I've gotten to know that's very transparent, very direct, very convicted, and I appreciate that because I, I pride myself on trying to be as transparent as possible. I call out hypocrisy, including my own. I don't know of too many talk show hosts that on the air will call out some of even their own hypocrisies. Mm -hmm. But I think that's where our country is really frustrated with political folks of of all stripes, on all ends of the political spectrum. The inability for these people who run our lives in many ways because their policies do affect our very daily, you know, the rigors of our daily lives, won't admit their own hypocrisies, aren't accountable, and don't move forward. But that's something I think you pride yourself for as leader 
of one of the four largest chambers of commerce in our in our state. Would you would you agree? Absolutely. You know, we really focus in on business growth. How do we grow business? How do we how do we have a successful state? So whether it's Rio Rancho, Albuquerque, Bernalillo, Corrales, whatever it might be, how do we have a successful state? How do we turn things around? You know, one of the nicknames I have for Rio Rancho, for instance, is the Star of New Mexico. Because it is so different from the rest of the state. It gets out there. It's business friendly. They are aggressively looking to bring people into the community. They want to bring in uh, expertise. They want to bring in businesses. All of these things are a contagious piece of what we do here in Rio Rancho. And when you look at the rest of the state, there's some nice pockets. Southeast part of the state doing great. But then you look at other areas. The east side of the river in Albuquerque, you're never going to hear someone in the political realm in Albuquerque say this. They're losing population. Yeah. And there's a reason why. But the west side, Rio Rancho Regional Chamber, the reason we're regional is we also work with west side Albuquerque. And we're growing business on that side as well. And in that realm, we're really seeing a huge influx right now. Albuquerque grew because of the west side. East side is losing, west side is winning. Yeah. That's extraordinarily interesting. We're going to talk about gerrymandering and redistricting here in a bit as well because it does affect representation uh, based on population growth or stagnation or population reduction. We are going to talk about redistricting. That's important. Jerry Shello, president of the Rio Rancho Chamber. So Rio Rancho is essentially attached to Albuquerque and, you know, for all intents and purposes, it's part of a community. But that community has a really different set of attitudes when it comes to being more business-friendly than, kind of generically speaking, Albuquerque, uh, other other pockets of population. Because I would argue, being a lifelong resident, being a business owner myself, being uh, someone who worked as a vice president of the Hispano Chamber for 20 years, that much of Albuquerque isn't necessarily, and much of New Mexico isn't necessarily friendly or embracing of entrepreneurship or business. And I think that's partly a function of an anthropological psychology, which I'll talk about in another show, but also because we have so much reliance on you know, the, the labs, state, federal jobs. So a lot of folks in New Mexico, frankly, are very government-reliant and, good, bad, or ugly, don't really understand some of the principles of entrepreneurship. That's exactly it. You know, in Rio Rancho, Sandoval County, much of uh, New Mexico, you've got to create your own ecosystem. So in Rio Rancho, we don't have the lab jobs. We do have Intel. But, you know, from Intel's standpoint, they're going to have a huge expansion, the whole nine yards, you know, 1,000 construction workers, 800 additional employees. We're really focused in on how can we add to that, not worrying about just intel hey we got that that's a win let's go home yeah. let's figure out how we can expand that ecosystem get complementary businesses to intel into the market space and that'll help continue to grow the economic based jobs which continues to grow the economy brings in higher wages brings in better restaurants brings in more breweries brings in all of these different things all the quality of life items are all based on bringing these economic-based jobs. And I would suppose that a lot of folks that work at Intel aren't necessarily living in Rio Rancho either. A lot of folks probably are 
living in Albuquerque, Bernalillo, other parts. So it's it's kind of a false assumption. Would you agree that Intel is is only you know employing people in Rio Rancho? Is that a, is that a fair is that a fair statement? Oh, that's absolutely fair. Um, you know, a number of them uh, Intel employees live in Corrales. They live in uh, Northeast Albuquerque, and use we'll call it the La Cueva School District. But a lot of them do live in Rio Rancho. And, and I'll tell you, the biggest secret to Rio Rancho is not the secret at all. Low crime, great schools, brings people to Rio Rancho. Matter of fact, give you an idea. Rio Rancho is 105,000 people. Albuquerque is 600 and some odd thousand, 700,000, we'll call it. Rio Rancho, in that 100,000 community, is outbuilding Albuquerque on homes. We are the number one home market in the state of New Mexico. And that's because folks want to live there. Okay? Again, that's why these issues like education, quality of life, uh, a robust tax base, uh, all those kinds of things are so important to an ecosystem, which is a good segue to where I want to go next. It's no secret that New Mexico has a great deal of negative educational outcomes. And not only is that just in, intrinsically a bad thing for our kids and our next generation that we're, that we're spawning, that we're, that we're nurturing to take over leadership and all of that, but it also lends itself to a direct correlation to a labor force that may not be prepared for 21st century jobs. And you mentioned that Rio Rancho prides itself for a lot of things, low crime, being a robust ecosystem, but also priding itself on good educational outcomes, not only is that important intrinsically for our kids, but you can make an argument, I'd like you to do that, extrapolate why that's important for 21st century jobs if we have a a well-educated workforce. Well, well well-educated workforce is key. And the basis for education, it all starts at the elementary school, pre-K, all, you know, as they keep on going on, if they are successful, this is a secret, many educators will tell you this, if they are successful and can read well by the third grade, they're going to be successful in school. Dropout rates decrease the whole nine yards. And Rio Rancho Public Schools does an outstanding job of working with the kids. They don't want them to be special ed. If they have a special ed child, special ed student, it is their goal to get them out of that and really focus in on their learning aspects. Because right now we have a huge shortage of engineers. If you can't read, you can't do math, you're not going to be confident enough to be an engineer. So we have a huge shortage in this state. And the engineering career is an extremely lucrative career, right? It is. Oh, engineering, you know, give you an idea. If you're an engineer, whether it's labs, Intel, just about any firm that hires engineers, it's mid, you know, mid-150 at least. Yeah, just to start with. Yes. Yeah. So you've, you've got that standpoint. But here's another little secret that's out there. Our uh, economy is changing. You're talking about what's the next you know, big thing. What's the next economy? From our standpoint, career technical education is key. Career technical education, give you an idea what it is, Jeffrey, is that's not only your plumbers, your electricians, all of those type folks. These are your computer operators. These are your cybersecurity folks. Those are career technical education. This is where 
they're learning a career path or a trade. So they can become experts in their field. They don't need the you know, six years of education to be an engineer or be a lawyer, be a doctor. They can compact this into two years initially, but then they continue developing that skill because it's their permanent occupation. And what it really leads to, here's the secret that they don't tell you, is these jobs start in the 50s. They don't start at $10 an hour. They start at $50,000 and go up. So if you're successful successful in cybersecurity, in computers, as a plumber, electrician, you're making six figures, which is more than the average bachelor's degree that, you know, a young man or young lady comes out of UNM or New Mexico State or Highlands, gets their liberal arts degree. Their liberal arts degree is going to make less than someone with a career technical education degree. Yeah. My guest here is Shello, Straight Talk with Jeffrey Candelari, with you every Saturday from 1 to 2 p.m., 1600 a.m. Kiva. So the other part of that is not only do they command a good paying salary, but those folks in those vocational positions, the engineering, the other things you just discussed, they can also, because the demand, command benefit packages, which we don't talk enough about. I think sometimes when we talk about great jobs and all the kind of careers, I don't know that we, whoever we is, spend enough time talking about how people can command you know, great benefits, like the, the skyrocketing cost of, of health plans. If you're in demand... You can also command, hey, I want, a, I want a good health package for me and my family. I want vacation. I want paid vacation, whatever it might be. So it's not just the, the number itself, 75000 a year, whatever it might be, but it's also the, 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 the accompanying benefit package that goes with it. Oh, absolutely. It's a, there's a full package that not only if they're working for someone, they can get, you know, like you said, the vacation, the health care, retirement, the whole nine yards. But I'll tell you what, these are our entrepreneurs. You know, they may start today, let's say they, they start to learn how to be a car repair. That's what they're focused in on. So they want to learn how cars work, be a mechanic, the whole nine yards. And they go to work for Chalmers Ford. Um, from that standpoint, they work at Chalmers Ford, let's say for five, maybe ten years, get all their certifications, get a good grasp. And then they decide, you know, Chalmers Ford has taught us, you know, my outstanding work ethic, skills, the whole nine yards. I think I want to do this on my own. I have an idea that I could really take what I've learned and maybe expand it to something I want to do. And then now, guess what? That entrepreneur that was working at Chalmers Ford now hires 10, 12 people of his own and then that ecosystem just keeps on growing. Yeah. You also, we, uh, in preparing for the show, uh, the show rather, you, you had mentioned offline that the state doesn't put any money into job development, federal dollars, and, and grants. Expand on that. Well, Jeffrey, one of the hidden secrets here in the state of New Mexico is um, that the federal government gives a certain amount of dollars to workforce development for veterans, for adult dislocated workers, for youth. Just about every state, I think there's only two other states other than New Mexico, does not put any matching dollars in there. 
to develop skills, take them to the next level, take them from a uh, $10 an hour wage, let's say they're working in a fast food place, they get an opportunity to get some education and take it to the next level. They can be a CDL driver, for instance, making 50000 in six weeks. Okay? So that being said, this state, state of New Mexico, does not put any matching funds in it, which means that you are limited to just the federal program. If you go to Texas, Colorado, Arizona, they put matching funds in there so that they get rid of donut holes, and they help many more people be successful and um, what this does is, is this makes it more desirable for companies to relocate there because, hey, you can point to them and say, we've got these many employees that we put through the uh, computer training program and we can identify them. Or cybersecurity. Cybersecurity, we can point to them and say, you know what, in the last year we, we graduated 250 um, folks in cybersecurity. So now we can recruit a cybersecurity firm to come to New Mexico. Yeah. So that's, that's key. But no, New Mexico doesn't put any money into it. A lot of folks think that they do, but it's all federal dollars. Um, in Sandoval County, which is where Rio Rancho is, we have a program called Upskill Sandoval. And Sandoval County, as well as uh, the Schumann Foundation, put money into a program called Upskill Sandoval to fill these donut holes. They're having to come up with it themselves. So we got this, what, billion-dollar surplus. Billion-dollar surplus could be used in this state because another thing they don't put any money in is career technical education. Career technical education. The reason why they don't put any money in that either is because it's an elective. So, Jeffrey, let me ask you a question. When is an elective not an elective? When is an elective not an elective? Right. When it's mandated that you take a, a core class or something. Well, an elective is not an elective when it's a career path. Mm, okay. These are career paths. If you want to welding, plumbing, computers, cybersecurity, biomedical, those are career paths. Public education department calls that an elective. It's not an elective when it's a career path. should not be in this state. It should be an opportunity because this is a permanent job that can move forward. So what do you think the motivation behind that is? In other words, you're talking about pragmatic, practical skills like welding, uh, you know, being a plumber, being an HVAC person. I mean, these things aren't going away. People are still going to need all these kinds of services and skills, right? So is it politics? Is it just uh, semantics? Is it just... Uh, the, the, the vacuum of, of, of leadership in, in emphasizing putting some resources into these practical skill career sets? Or, what, in your opinion, why, why do we not do that in our state? Largely the reason is, is we got so wound up that 100% of all kids needed to go to college. Yeah. I would argue in New Mexico that who's actually going to college, going to graduate from college, might be 20%. Yeah, and who's going to stay here Right, with a marketable skill? That's it. So here's the other side of this. Career technical education jobs, if you get them through the programs, you get them certified, they go to C&M, take the classes, get their certifications, get a job, guess what? These are the folks that are going to stay in New Mexico. Yeah. If The reason why we have a shortage of engineers, it's not like UNM and New Mexico State aren't graduating engineers. 
The challenge is, is on the engineering front, when you have companies from out of state offering more money than they can make in New Mexico, than our businesses here can make in New Mexico, they're going to Phoenix, they're going to Denver, they're going to Texas, because they'll make 20, 30, 40% more straight out of college than in New Mexico. And the reason is, is because we have not really honed in on economic development. So to answer your question, economic development and workforce development have never been on the same page in this state. One is in one building, the other one's in another building. That's a great point. My guest, Jericello, Straight Talk with Jeffrey Candelaria. Yeah, I've noted that when I worked at the chamber for 20 years, you've got about seven different entities, even in Albuquerque, that are calling themselves economic development institutions. I'm not going to mention names. And they all have their own interpretation of what economic development is, and none of them collaborate with each other. Part of it is because they don't want to share resources, and and some of them are membership-driven. And so let's say you have an organization that's a membership-driven economic development organization in Albuquerque. I won't mention any names. They may, uh, they may see collaborating with another member economic development organization as a threat because some of those members uh, may join them and not ours kind of thing. I think it's, that's part of it. And then the other part of it is what you've just discussed. How well thought out are economic development strategies both for current economic environment situations five years from now, ten years from now. I don't know that they're well thought out to your point. And also, do you think there was, and I do think, there was almost a stigma for about 20, 30 years that if a person was a plumber or working as a welder, that that blue-collar position didn't have the quote-unquote station that a college graduate position did. Even though a welder in many cases, or a plumber makes a lot more than someone who has a liberal arts degree, you know, working as a sociologist or something, you know. So the stigma, I think, to your point, was was possibly part of what, why we didn't, as a state, put as much emphasis on these practical vocational careers, perhaps? It is, and uh, that's exactly what happened, Jeffrey, is uh, about uh, 30 years ago, we started to get away from that, you know, and, and a big trigger, if you want to go back in history, big trigger for that change when CNM goes from TVI to CNM. Yeah. They took the technical and vocational out of the name itself. They did. Completely took it out, completely different focus. They became a, uh, a grounds to get an associate's degree or two years, and they used to pitch themselves as the uh, place to go to start your college career, get your first two years down. And then go to UNM, go to New Mexico State, versus focusing in on it. Now, CNM has gone back to its roots in a lot of cases. You know, they have a brewery program. They've added a number of different programs out there that really cater to this. But we've got to get this change starting at the PED level, get at the legislative level. Every community, every county in this state should have a career technical education facility. And I, I will tell you, Hobbs, kudos to Hobbs. And by the way, Hobbs, one of the fastest growing areas of the state, because very much like Rio Rancho, they're trying to figure things out and move forward rather than sit back. They are building a $36 million career technical education facility 
focused in on the petroleum industry. And that's just huge. That's a game changer in their area. But the big thing is, is these jobs keep people here. New Mexico, lowest uh, census change in a 10-year period in history because we don't give our kids a reason to stay. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll talk about that here probably in the next segment. But New Mexico's population overall is stagnated, and Albuquerque's population overall is stagnated, particularly on the east side of the river, which we'll talk about here. I want to now talk a little bit more about some of the dynamics, some of the what I call the the uh, the calculus of, of labor. Now, all of us have experienced what I call the Chinese virus for the last year and eight months. Um, many businesses were deemed non-essential, which, which really eradicated, literally destroyed money, many kinds of industries, particularly service industries, restaurants, many, about 250 restaurants, I believe, in New Mexico, all permanently closed because of the Chinese virus. But also another phenomenon, lots of folks have been on unemployment for literally 19 months. And now the PUA, the, the pandemic, uh, unemployment, emergency, whatever it was called, the fund, that extra $1,200 a month for some of these disenfranchised, former, formerly employed persons, many of whom who owned their own business, well, that went away as of today. So that extra $1,200 is non-discretionary revenue, won't be there. The many industries that have been open have had labor short, shortage issues. All of us have been to you know, various venues across Albuquerque, Rio Rancho, Hobbs, New Mexico, and seen what? Hiring. We are hiring. We're hiring. Talk about that kind of connecting all those dots, because there's a lot of balls in the air when it comes to you've got about 50,000 New Mexicans that are no longer going to get that $1,200 extra uh, amount of money. Now they've got to go back to the labor force You've got all these people that are hiring, but a lot of these restaurants figured out how to, and not just restaurants, but industries figured out how to be more efficient with less resources. What's that going to look like? The, the reintroduction of labor into all these industries. Who now has command of the leverage? I mean, there's so much to unpack there, but talk about labor and opportunity, not only in Rio Rancho, but in your view, just kind of all over New Mexico. You know, from that standpoint, Jeffrey, you know what, uh, those extra unemployment wages for a short time were great. It helped folks out for the largest reason that, you know, we had the state government decide, the governor decided to shut everything down, everybody had to stay home, the whole nine yards, which means businesses could not pay salaries. They did things like the PPP came out. You know, and that helped businesses make payroll and this and that without employees working. So you had those challenges. But the problem is we kept it on for such a long time. And, you know, there, there's an adage that if you keep something around for 90 days, then it's going to become a habit. So what we did is, is during this time, we taught people to stay home. Yeah. We taught people not to think about going out and, you know, getting the new car what, what they could do to better their life, whatever it might be. We trimmed all that back. And then we rewarded them for it. So guess what? 
now they got the money, so they didn't have to trim anything back because they had money and a number of folks out there because of the uh, the unemployment dollars were actually getting more on unemployment than they were being employed. That's a great point. And what this has done is, is if there's anything you can say about America as a whole, is we are the most initiative country in the world. We, you know, we jump right on out there. We, you know, more inventions, more this, more that, because we're always looking to be innovative, take it to the next level. This pandemic and all the handouts that occurred, we took that away. So folks now they don't want to work, they don't want to go to work every day they want to they want to find a job that they can stay at home they uh, and if they can't if you're going to force them to go to work then they'll just figure out a way to stay home or they'll look for another job that they can do from home so a lot of call centers care centers technical centers it's now out of your home yeah um, so when you're talking to a bank matter of fact you do customer service on your bank and talk about cybersecurity. Um, there's a potential chance you're calling that person and that person's at home. Yeah. So you created those challenges. Now you have restaurants. Restaurants are the easy ones. They're not at capacity. You have a number of big-time fast food restaurants. You know, Chick-fil-A, just a report came out the other day. Chick-fil-A wants to open their restaurants inside. They can't do it. They can't get enough staff. Yeah. That's leading to big problems. And what this does is, is this creates a problem after another problem after another problem, and it reduces capacity. So you're looking at, let's, let's say that a restaurant's going to serve 100 people today, and they need 20 people to do that. But they only get 12 to come to work today. Right? That's 60% of their workforce. Yeah. Which means they got to take out 60%, per, they can only cover 60% of their revenue for the day, so now they've got to cut 40%. Now here's the problem. They need that 100% of that revenue to cover all the expenses and everything else because the expenses don't stop. Just because you're a business and you're running at 60% doesn't mean your rent stops. It yeah. doesn't mean that the electricity turns off. So right? the unintended consequence is also going to be raising prices. If they have to raise prices. You're already seeing that. They have to raise and, prices. And we're not even talking about the inflation factor with all the money we've, we've printed that we've introduced into the overall you know, economy of our country. So that's a whole different inflationary dynamic than what you're discussing. When, when, when restaurants, as an example of business, are, are operating on lower capacities with also more inexperienced staff because they're having to hire younger people don't have the experience, which also degrades efficiencies, and I'm not putting down young people, I'm just saying they're not as experienced, so efficiency goes down. Now you have more customer complaints, less repeat customers, all this other kind of stuff. The restaurant is forced to, because they have obligations, they have to service, raise prices. That's why these politicians, when they make these policies about, you know, arbitrary dollar amount per hour figures, oh, everybody needs to make $20 an hour, they don't recognize What's going to happen is that business is probably going to raise prices. <laughs> you know, so to your point, there's a lot of dynamics that have happened, some intentional, some unintentional, because of this thing called the Chinese virus. No, you're absolutely right. I, you know, I'll give you a pure example, Jeffrey. 
couple years ago, you know, New Mexico had it on the table to increase uh, minimum wage fifteen dollars, and that included waiters and waitresses. That sounds really good in yeah. theory, right? It sounded, sounds great. Hey, sounded, sounded great. Who's against making fifteen dollars an hour? Right? That's it. But you, you want to know who was against it? Who was against it? Was all the waiters and waitresses in so, fine dining restaurants? Because I'll give you an example. In Santa Fe, this was during the legislature, and I got over a hundred and some odd waiters and waitresses to speak to the legislature, and this idea got dropped. But what they did is, is when you talk to them, they were homeowners, they had, they were sending their kids to private schools, they were doing all these things. Yeah, they're working as a waiter or waitress, right? That's bottom level income, but they were really proud about where they worked, how they worked. They worked in a nice, fine dining establishment, they, and they were making significant dollars. Some of them were making six figures. Yeah. And you know that if they're a waiter or waitress in Santa Fe, and they're a single mother, and they can own a house in Santa Fe, they're making some money, right? So these folks did not believe in that $15 an hour, and they, they went in there and testified against it. Whereas at the same time, you know, one of the things I will say that is a real positive about this pandemic, and there's not many that are positive, but I will tell you in the last nine months, there's more 15, 16, 17, 18-year-olds working than ever before. And they are learning the importance of putting some dollars in their pocket. They're learning work ethic. They're learning a trade. They're learning customer service. They're learning whatever it might be. They're making a few bucks, and they're feeling good about themselves because they've got money. That generation right now, you know, you can look at things throughout history. A certain thing happened. You know, we have the 9-11, 20th anniversary coming up. Things change. You know, we had the, the, the Great Recession in 2008. This right here, that group of, of individuals... 15 to 18, they've really learned how to work, and that is a big piece to this, what I can see for our future. That group, I look so forward to that group being successful for their entire life because of what they've learned. My guest, Jerichello, President of the uh, Rio Rancho Chamber, Jeffrey Candelaria. Straight talk with Jeffrey Candelaria. Tell your friends to listen to this show every Saturday, 1 to 2 p.m. Uh, we don't talk in cliches. I call out hypocrisy. I try to be as... Uh, transparent as possible as a lifelong resident of Albuquerque. Uh, so you talked earlier about the the fact that one of the unintended consequences, maybe it is by design, maybe there is volition here of the Chinese virus, is at least 70,000 New Mexicans have been de-incentivized to work. I'm not saying these are bad people, but for the last 17 months, about 70,000 New Mexicans have not worked in the traditional sense that you know they did prior to March of 2020, now this $1,200 extra uh, amount of money the government was providing, the state was providing, is not there as of today. That's a lot of money for a lot of folks. That's a lot of money for anybody. 1,200 extra dollars. So now these folks have this the psychology of the work ethic. They have to remotivate themselves, which isn't mm-hmm. easy. They've been staying home and and collecting a check. And again. 
I'm not putting anybody down, but they have done nothing to contribute to this thing called our ecosystem. And I'm not judging them. It's just a fact. How do they reignite that motivation? How do they turn that switch back on? God, I got I got to go back to the grindstone. You know, I got to go back to the man. You know, and wake up at eight o'clock every day or whatever I got to do. How does that happen? And that's fifty-two thousand people, Jerry, no longer getting that twelve hundred dollars. What do you think the consequence of that is? And are some of those people going to displace and supplant that very? 15, 16, 17, 18-year-old population you just lauded before. What happens there? Is there a collision there? Is it, do they supplant that population? What do you think the... How do you extrapolate what's going to happen to those 52,000 people not getting that extra $1,200 as of today? Well, I think those 15 through 18-year-olds right now, or even 19-year-olds, I think, uh, I think they continue working um, because now they're trained. They have an idea what they're doing. You know, they, they went from... Uh, going from school to learning how to uh, be a waiter or waitress or customer service or whatever it might be, and they're getting paid $15, $16 an hour. As for the folks that have been unemployed, it's going to be a struggle. Um, and the reason is is work ethic has vanished. Yeah. So if they, they don't have the work ethic to get back into the grind, learn a new job, go to work every day, um, and really put forth as much effort as they did before the pandemic, it's going to take a while to get there. You know, a good adage of that is you take a two-week vacation, and, you know, you kick back, sleep late, do all those type things, and, um, you know, watching the sunsets and the sunrises and whatever it might be really laid back. It's in the past, you know, that really... uh, gets you motivated again and the whole nine yards. But when you come back from work, right, those first couple days, it's like, man, this is a tough day. I'm kind of tired today, you know, because my body clock has changed a little bit. Well, imagine you took a vacation for 18 months. Now that's quite a change. And you made more money staying at home in most cases or many cases. You were making more getting this check than you were before. Because keep in mind that $1,200 was an extra $300 per week on top of the unemployment they were already getting. So it wasn't just $1,200. It was that there was almost a, an, an ancillary amount of money besides what they were getting prior to. That's it. And it, it's kind of this uh, double-edged sword where it's higher expectations with less work ethic. Yeah. And those two things don't match. You know, a, a business looks for... Folks with high work ethic, those are the folks that get the higher wages. You know, the old, you know, the, the, uh, when you're working in a fast food place, that's not a permanent job. You're never, you're not going to be the person at the drive up window for the next 50 years. That's not a job. That's a job. That's not a career path. What's a career path is, is okay, they're working at the drive up window become a system manager, become a manager, run their own shop, whatever it might be. That is the progression. Those jobs are never set up to be at the bottom. Now, what's happening is, is a lot of folks are going to want, um, they're not going to want to start off at the bottom again. They've been unemployed for 18 months. You remember the Great Recession, yeah. right? What turned out from the Great Recession that we had in 2008? 
They used to use this word called underemployed. Right? Those that have chose to continue working or gathered experience during this pandemic are accelerating their careers. The folks that stayed home collected unemployment, they're going to be underworked. Yeah. They're, they're going to be... Uh, um, they're going to make less money than they anticipate, which is going to create a lot of problems from the standpoint of uh, job satisfaction. Yeah. My guest, Jerry president of the Rio Rancho Chamber, Jeffrey Candelaria here, Straight Talk with Jeffrey Candelaria. But think about this, listeners. Again, as of today, literally 52,000 persons in our midst in New Mexico are no longer going to get that extra $300 a, a week, which is $1,200 a month. And that has implications. The other thing that I think is going to happen is those jobs that that person had 18 months ago are going to look a little different as well when they go back. Why? Because this Chinese virus has implemented and installed different protocols inside those businesses, right? The way you interact with your client in March of 2020, it's very different today as to how you interact with that client the expectation of the client it also has also changed. So it's not like, oh, I'll just go back to my old job, let alone reigniting my motivation, but the actual, the actual physics of the job is going to look a little different. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. You know, just looking at the Rio Rancho Regional Chamber, you know, we, uh, prior to the pandemic, everything was in person. It was driven for networking, um, doing trainings in person, the whole nine yards. Then we come through the pandemic, and everything went Zoom. We all learned how to use Zoom really well quickly. Yeah. Well, we come back out now. We're doing hybrid, where you'll have a meeting that it's Zoom and in person at the same time, so you got all those type of things going on. You take that to the workplace, and everything out there has changed because it's all a hybrid in some way or fashion. Now, you have some employees working from home. You've got some employees in the office. You've got some employees that are on your team now that are allowed to live in anywhere that they want. So in Rio Rancho is a great example. We have so many people choosing to live in Rio Rancho from other states, Colorado, California, Minnesota. Just had one. I just spoke to a lady yesterday. Um, she was from uh, Milwaukee. Her employer said, you know what? We're going to go permanently remote. You can live anywhere you want. Well, what are they saying? I want to get out of the snow. Let's go. And they start looking for places to live, and Rio Rancho comes at the top. So we got folks that are working here that for a company that's out of state. So that's another dynamic because now you've got out-of-state employees on your team. Yeah. And you mentioned team and collaboration and, and all of that, you know, the spirit of uh, spirit decor, all that kind of stuff. I really think it's going to build resentment, though, because I think if, if me and 20 of my other quote-unquote teammates decide to come in to the office and drive all the way there and blah, 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 but about 30 other teammates, quote-unquote, are working from home in their pajamas, I think it ultimately can create some resentment. That's just a, a complete wild conjecture on my part. But these are some of the things that we're going to deal with as companies and business people going forward that maybe we didn't think about 
as politicians implementing all these policies. The other thing I want to talk about is we, and then I want to kind of conclude with redistricting, is leverage. Think about this. If you're a restaurant owner or you owned a, a plumbing shop, whatever it might be, it was hard to get persons to work during the Chinese virus, right? So the person who had the skills and the wherewithal and the work ethic to come into my shop had the leverage because I need their support. I need labor, right? The restaurant, whatever. Right. But now the labor, I think, leverage has shifted to me, the owner, because now you're not getting that extra you know, money from the federal government, state government, whatever. Do you think the leverage has changed as well from employee to employer? What do you think? Well, the employees, uh, potential employees out there are going to have big expectations and um, their income is going to be a little bit lower than it was. And that's going to create a, a challenge. It's going to create a challenge for a lot of folks out there because they're going to have to figure out how to recover that income um, without uh, that they were getting before when they were unemployed that they're not getting now. They got to figure out how to recover that. Um, so the employer, one of the keys to them is is when you find a good solid employee that has been unemployed for the past eighteen months, that employer's now got to step out and reward them to keep them there because certain employees that are coming out of this thing are not going to get that work ethic back. But others are going to come right on out, and they're going to come after it hard in a lot of cases. So that's the employer's got to identify those folks and reward them. They can't hold their salary down. They hire them at $14 an hour, and their productivity is through the moon. They hire another one, $14 an hour, that you know keeps on thinking they want to go home or they don't want to do this or don't do that. Or they're working from home, and by virtue of doing so, their production is maybe you know, reduced or yeah. attenuated because they're not as efficient working from home. That's it. So you've got to reward those employees that are getting the job done because you're going to get a lot more out of that motivated employee. So coming out of this, every employer has got to take a deep look when they do that hiring, do a deep look and say, who's the winner Yeah. and who just wants to let time go Well, by? and as a business owner, you, me, others, I've worked around business all my life, Unlike the progressive woke liberals, not everybody gets a participation trophy, meaning <laughs> if you don't produce, you don't work here. And that's a harsh reality that a lot of Americans are not aware of, particularly in a state like New Mexico where 40, 50% of the labor force is a state, a federal, a bureaucratic job where you show up and if you don't commit murder, you're going to get a check. Of course, I'll be facetious. But production in an entrepreneurial environment is king, Correct. And when people don't produce, there are negative consequences. That's a harsh lesson a lot of people are going to learn. It is. You know, all the jobs in New Mexico, the labs, everything else, those are great jobs to have in the state. But the life of New Mexico, the growth of New Mexico, it's all driven on what we bring here. So every one of these local business owners that have gone through this pandemic found a way to found a way to survive, we all need to thank them for their efforts. Thank them, applaud them, and show our appreciation. You know, one, one thing I want to touch on, I see this a lot, is they walk into a restaurant or store or whatever, and 
customer service. They, they're slamming them on social media for their customer service or whatever else. You have to keep in mind that business is probably running at 30, 40, 50% of their capacity, right? Because that's what they have for employee count. Yeah. What we need to be doing instead is, is thanking that business, showing appreciation, having a little bit more patience. You go into that restaurant, have that extra glass of wine. Don't worry about the food didn't come out in 15 minutes. You know, if it comes out in 30 minutes, have that extra glass of wine. It's okay. Thank the owner when you leave. Yeah. Appreciate you trying to take care of well, us. Well, that business is also dealing with supply shortages as well. So they have had increased prices, so the customers are already ticked off to begin with. The service isn't as good, maybe because they have a 16-year-old serving. That's their first job. The waiter before was 27, but he's been at home collecting unemployment. I mean, there's all these hidden consequences and dynamics that I don't know that the average person really thinks about. And that's why we should care. That's why you're on the show. That's why who we vote for cares. That's why policies like mandating an hourly, you know, arbitrary 15 an hour minimum wage is something we should really think about and extrapolate when we endorse those policies and the people that come up with these, you know, wild ideas. Um, also, before we get into redistricting, mandatory vaccine mandates for certain jobs. I'm not vaccinated. I don't believe in the science. I'm philosophically opposed to it. I'm not going to do it unless God himself says i got to do it. That means if I were to go look for a job, I wouldn't be able to work at 70% of the, the jobs I'm capable of working at. Any thoughts on these companies that are mandating that people be vaccinated. Because, again, it's astounding. We don't have control of our bodies anymore. Different topic, but mandating vaccines in businesses. Your thoughts? Well, I disagree with the um, mandating any kind of vaccine. You know, we, we don't go in there and we don't mandate anything on who can and who can't work. They need to be given the opportunity. If, you know... From their standpoint is, just keep this in mind, you may have a really strong employee that isn't vaccinated. And you might have a real bad employee that's got a criminal record, all kinds of problems, this and that, can't get to work on time, the whole nine yards, but they're vaccinated. You know, as if I'm a business owner, which one am I going with? Yeah, of course. So... You know, that's the thing you have to keep in mind. Yeah, but this many, is a personal many, many political forces are mandating that, that businesses do mandate that people be vaccinated. That's why those are, it's yes. dangerous that we be aware of who we're voting for and the policies that they espouse. And, and it's all a personal decision, Jeffrey. And what it amounts to is, is some folks are more comfortable than others. You know, we looked at this when the governor mandated the hospitals to be vaccinated. We looked at that. I made a lot of phone calls trying to get an idea how many of your staff is not vaccinated. I got anywhere between around the state 22 to 35 percent, right? So bottom line is, is those, all those people who are forced to be vaccinated or quit. That was the choice. That just puts New Mexico more into jeopardy. Does that make sense? With a pandemic going on, we're going to send those jobs, send those individuals to Texas who is giving them 
a $20,000 sign-on bonus plus relocation package to move to Texas, does that help the state? That's We have to look at the big picture. Yeah. What's going to help the state? Yeah, in my 38-year career and being in business and, and directly or, or you know, indirectly, I never heard one time anybody ever ask, and I don't even like to use the word ever, absolutes. I never heard somebody ever say in a business environment, did you get your flu shot? You know, before a business meeting. Nobody ever asked that question. And the flu has as much menace as a melody as this Chinese virus does. All right, let's begin to conclude. The population dynamics of Albuquerque, New Mexico, in many cases have just stagnated, or in, any, in, in most cases, actually, we've seen reductions in, in, in populations. And why is this the gerrymandering, the redistricting that's going to come up? Why should we care about redistricting and New Mexico's population stagnation? Well, one of the biggest challenges out there, if you know, the census numbers came out, and uh, New Mex- in New Mexico, Rio Rancho was the fastest growing community. Hobbs grew a ton. Las Cruces grew a lot. Um, Westside Albuquerque did pretty well. They, they grew not as much as Rio Rancho overall, but here, here's the interesting thing. Easy to measure. Southern part of the state, Las Cruces, Hobbs, that area of the state, okay, that's... Um, that's District 2. District 1 is Albuquerque. Doesn't include some of the west side of Albuquerque. It's mostly east of the river. Then you got CD3, which is Congressional District 3. That is Farmington, Santa Fe, but it also includes west side Albuquerque and Rio Rancho. Okay? So I'll give you an example. Those numbers 294,000 for Albuquerque. Seed, uh, Congressional District 1, 694,000. Congressional District 2, which is the uh, southeast part of the state, 714,000. Congressional District 3, which includes Rio Rancho, Santa Fe, Farmington, 708,000. When you look at those numbers, okay, what that tells you is, is Albuquerque is not growing yeah. at the same pace because 10 years ago when they did the census, they all had 685,000 residents in them. So from 685, you're looking at that growth. So if I'm reading this correctly, 10 years ago, Albuquerque had 686,000 persons, according to the census, only grew by... Uh, only grew by... 8,000. Uh, wow. That's, that's, very, that's very modest, almost humbling growth. So Albuquerque barely grew at all, and if it did grow... It did not grow on the east side. It grew on the west side. It did. West of the river. Southwest Albuquerque, which is part of CD1, that's where all that growth occurred, plus some. Jerry Shallow, president of Rio Rancho Chamber, Jeffrey Candelaria, straight talk with Jeffrey Candelaria. East of the river, in my mind, used to be red, more Republican, a little bit more well-educated, a little more income. Those people are literally dying off. I mean, the baby boomers on... On the, on the east of the river dying off and not replenishing themselves. So, again, why do we care? Well, that just means good, bad, or ugly. And from my, from my perspective, it's ugly. New Mexico's turning more blue by the, by, the, by the year. It is. And, you know, not to get into Democrat or Republican politics, but I'll give you oh, a pure... Oh, come on. Straight I, talk I, with Jeffrey right? I, I give <laughs> I'll give you a pure example. 
very strong blue area, the International District. Anywhere Albu- along Albu- Central. Albuquerque International. Yep. You're talking about Louisiana, San Pedro, Central. All along Central. Yeah. Okay, very strong, deep blue. Biggest drop in population. Biggest drop. Whereas on where it's more moderate, the other side of town, the Northeast Heights, parts of the Northeast Heights, like far Northeast Heights, um, you're seeing growth. So what's interesting is, is the policies that are out there on the deep blue side, they're vacating. They're figuring out how to leave. That's why everybody's leaving California. They're not leaving California because the deep blue policies out there were such a great idea. They're leaving them because they destroy communities. Yeah. And, and that's the thing to think about. You know, I, I hate to get into the politics piece of it, but you see that trend, and it's in the New Mexico trend. If anyone takes a look at the census figures that occurred, you'll see bluer areas decreased, redder areas Increased. Well, the latest wild absurdity as a policy that's being put forth in, in uh, San Francisco, I, I don't know if you are aware of this, but there's even a, a thought that certain areas of uh, San Jose, <clears throat> San Francisco, reward criminals who don't shoot other people. Have you heard about that? So you're incentivizing people to not commit crime by actually giving them stipends. I mean, that's the wildness of the woke progressive movement in our country. That's why it matters who we vote for. But yeah. where do you see redistricting overall? You're saying Albuquerque may even lose a, a seat at the state legislature? Yes. You know, there's only so many seats in the legislature. And from that standpoint, uh, Hobbs grew so quickly that um, the whole Hobbs southeast area grew so quickly there's a good chance they're going to pick up a representative seat. And um, where that's going to come from is that's basically going to come from the Albuquerque metro area. And it'll come from east of the river because the west side's grown. Rio Rancho needs to, uh, you know, we've got to add more representative seats. West side has to add more representative seats. So when you peel it back, it looks like initially we'll see what happens when they do the gerrymandering and everything else, as you mentioned. But it looks like Albuquerque is going to lose a seat. Yeah. And those folks are old enough to remember <clears throat> after World War One, <coughs> which was 70 years ago, that kind of thing. You, Albuquerque was really kind of, you know, 50,000, 60,000 people. It was a period, I believe, after World War Two, where Albuquerque was one of the eight, seven fastest growing cities in the, in the country. Right. Now Albuquerque is virtually stagnating. Part of it is a brain drain where lots of folks that do get a good education leave Albuquerque for better paying jobs. And if you don't believe me, go find out and research how many thoracic surgeons there are in Albuquerque. There are not very many. You can count them on maybe one hand. How many uh, neurosurgeons are in Albuquerque? I think you can count them on your, you know, not using your thumb, your first four fingers. Because thoracic surgeons, neurosurgeons, people like that, with those kinds of high-level skills, get paid almost 20, 30, 40, 50% more in other communities like Phoenix, Dallas, even Idaho. Uh, Boise is outgrowing Albuquerque as an example. Why do you think the Hobbs pocket is growing almost exponentially? 
Um, largely it is because of the energy industry, petroleum. That's the big piece right there. That's why it's growing. You know, the, uh, each area is growing for a different reason. Rio Rancho is growing because people want to live here. Now we need to add the jobs. Hobbs is growing. They have the jobs. They're getting the residents. It's the petroleum industry. The, the biggest thing, you know what I, I'd say, Jeffrey, is, is we've got to do a better job of is if you go back 50 years, Albuquerque was not the small city compared to, it, compared to El Paso. If you look at El Paso, Phoenix, Tucson, and Denver, we were larger in Denver 50 years ago. Yeah. And El Paso was the largest city in the southwest 50 years ago. And El Paso made a number of missteps for 40 years. Now they're moving in the right direction. Phoenix made some huge steps. You know, Tucson has always been kind of stable, like very much like Albuquerque. Denver, huge expansion. And when you look at things top to bottom in this state, what those other areas are doing better and what El Paso recently started doing better, they talk about our tomorrow. In this state, we don't talk about our tomorrow. We're always worried about today. We have a billion-dollar surplus in the legislature. We are worrying about how to spend it today. Rather than, if I take that billion dollars and I invested in career technical education, I invested in job development, I invested in economic development, I invested in a true expansion of this economy, then... What happens is, is I will not reap the rewards today, but I will reap the rewards in five or ten years. And we've got to get away from this. For the past 50 years, we've had the same attitude in this state. It's always manana. It's always wait. I'll do it now. You know, all I want is the now. We've got to look at the tomorrow. Jerry Shola, President of Rio Rancho Chamber, as we begin to conclude, Jeffrey Candler, Straight Talk with Jeffrey Candler. I'm actually writing and authoring an, an op-ed that talks about much of New Mexico doesn't actually value education. It's a dirty little secret that most folks don't talk about, which I'm going to talk about. Remember the, the folks, my ancestors, Oñate, the, the, the Lucetos, the Griegos, the Condolatias, uh, with Oñate and the folks after him that came from Spain and Europe, we brought Franciscan friars to New Mexico. We didn't bring Jesuits or Dominicans. Jesuits are the ones that celebrate education and higher learning and critical thought. Francis of Assisi was born into wealth but ultimately valued simplicity, austerity, not critical thinking, hyper-humility. No one talks about that. So hyper-humility extrapolates and manifests by not valuing education from a, from a religious pursuit perspective brought to us by Saint Francis, Saint, uh, Saint Francis of Assisi. I'm not critical of him per se. I'm just saying it's a lingering anthropological, psychological factor as to why New Mexico celebrates hyper-humility. We don't demand greatness because Saint Francis taught us austerity and simplicity is king, and no one talks about that. Well, you know your history on that better than I do, Jeffrey. You know, what I will tell you is <laughs> I, I'm looking at the today and the last 20 years. Bottom line is is uh, we don't value education because uh, mom, dad, whoever, we have a lot of broken families out there that uh, education is not a priority. 
in some school districts in the state. They want to make sure that the kids stay as special ed so that they can receive more money from the state. Keep in mind, this is a hidden secret in the state. If you get a child out of special ed, that school receives less money than if they can keep that child as special ed. Of course. So how would you like to go your entire life in school as special ed? That's what leads to dropouts. If we focus more on our, again, our tomorrow and look at career technical education and we give them that path, because it used to be when that was popular, if you had a father, uncle, whatever it might be, that was a mechanic or whatever it might be, that that child had someone to look up to. Yeah. Again, thank you again, Jerry Shello, president of Rio Rancho Chamber, Straight Talk with Jeffrey Candelaria. Again, education also does something else besides, you know, commanding a great career and all of that. It in, it, it it imbues the kid with critical thought, demanding, for example, the difference between good and greatness because they understand there's a distinction. And great is the enemy of good. Again, it's been a pleasure. Uh, we're going to have you back as we continue to unfurl this Chinese virus. Uh, your your contact information as we conclude, please, Jerry uh, Shell. Rear Rancher Regional Chamber, 505-892-1533. And our website is rrrcc.org, three R's, two C's, dot org. Thank you, Eddie Otagon, for producing the show. We'll talk to you next week. Jeffrey Candelaria, Straight Talk with Jeffrey Candelaria.